He's recognized as one of the most legendary football coaches of all time. Arsene Wenger arrived in England in 1996 to take charge of Arsenal Football Club. The Frenchman came to London at a time when foreign coaches were still a rarity in English football. He started a revolution in how to prepare for matches, and his approach helped change the game forever. He introduced a new regime which focused on players' physical and mental approach as well as their technical and tactical development. Wenger's methods were initially greeted with skepticism, but they soon proved to be successful. In 1998, Arsenal won both the Premier League and FA Cup, securing the club's first double since 1971, making it one of the best seasons in their history. Wenger's greatest achievement was produced by his team of so-called invincibles. Arsenal won the league title in 2004 after staying undefeated for the whole season, something no other Premier League team has done. Overall, Wenger was in charge for 828 Premier League matches over 22 seasons, making him the league's longest serving manager. He was the winner of seven FA Cups and three league championships. Wenger stepped down in 2018 after more than two decades of service. Former Manchester United manager Alex Ferguson said at the time, He is without a doubt one of the greatest Premier League managers and I am proud to have been a rival, a colleague and a friend to such a great man. Wenger didn't leave football altogether. Shortly after, he was appointed as FIFA's Chief of Global Football Development, tasked with overseeing the worldwide growth of the sport. He educates coaches and is working on developing a program to help former professionals enter management. You know, I, I would like to share what I've learned, but in an efficient way. So I, I hate administration, and uh, I think I can. Uh, I learned a lot about human beings, and uh, football has today a fantastic responsibility in the world. We live in a in, in a world where sport has become a religion all over the world, and. Uh, World football has a huge responsibility now, and uh, if I can help a little bit, why not? FIFA's talent development scheme aims to raise the standard of national teams around the world for both men and women. Wenger is leading its pilot phase with seven countries chosen to kick-start the project. His achievements were formally recognized when he entered the Premier League's Hall of Fame, the highest individual honor awarded by the competition. At 73, looking back, were all the sacrifices he made worth it? We'll find out over the next half hour as Arsene Wenger talks to Al Jazeera. Arsene Wenger, thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. I want to start by asking you about your project now that you're working on. What do you hope to achieve? Look, by analyzing the world of football and the world globally in 211 countries, I realized that uh, in most of the countries people don't get a chance to play at a decent level. So we created the, what we call the talent development scheme. That means we want to create an opportunity for all the children, boys and girls, from 11, 12 years old to develop and to have a chance to play. We send the coaches in FIFA pays for the coaches and uh, we create uh, 
academies where we can give them all the talents, uh, the chance to develop as a football player. What is the second ingredient that is very important to have a good chance to become a good football player is to put the best with the best. So we try to regroup the best together and to give them quality coaching. It's a great idea and it's a great scheme for, you know, to try and give people equal opportunity. And I know it's a new, relatively new project developing since 2019. Is it working? Can it work? At the moment, uh, we have seven pilot countries, you know, where we initiated the project because we need the cooperation of, uh, from the MAs, the federations. And uh, at the end of the year, 2023, we uh, will be in 35 countries approximately. And uh, in 24, we will be in 100 countries, I believe. So, of course, it's a huge amount of work, but uh, I'm personally convinced that there are too many countries in the world where real talents don't get a, a real chance. And uh, we want to change that. If we do it well, what of course we'll dedicate our energy to do, I think we'll really change the world of football and uh, give everybody in the world a chance. It's no better project than that. And uh, because at the moment you would say that Europe is ahead in uh, developing players. And uh, we see that many immigrants coming to Europe get a chance to play. They get a good coaching, a good development program, and uh, they make a big career. But there's many people in the world, boys and girls, because the girls as well, most of the time they start to play too late, you know, football. Unfortunately, you play with your feet. Mm -hmm. And to educate your feet to play, uh, you have to start early in life. And uh, it's decided between 5 and 12, technically. The technique is not enough, but without technique, you're never a football player. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why we want uh, to give uh, everybody an opportunity. It brings me to the 2022 World Cup. We saw countries like Morocco and Japan do very well. What do you think led them to that success? First of all, uh, I, I worked in Japan for two years, 95, 96, and uh, Japan started the professional league in 93, but they did things well, properly, like the Japanese know, are well organized, they dedicate uh, the energy and uh, the money to develop their football, then created academies. And uh, all over the world, the result is the same. The 20 best FIFA ranked countries are the 20 countries who have the best education system inside their country. And Japan is one of them. Morocco uh, at the moment has made huge effort. I visited Morocco, Morocco recently and they have uh, developed their, their development of their youth system and they have a fantastic training center uh, in their country. And overall, they have as well many uh, people who are educated in Europe and who played for their national team. So they have, a, uh, I, I would say, a combination of abroad education and home education. And, uh, but they work very well. It's two countries mm -hmm. who understood that to have good national teams, you need first to take care of your youth. 
Let's look ahead to 2026. It will be a much bigger World Cup, 48 teams compared to 32. But is it a chance, do you think developing countries will be encouraged to maybe invest more into football for a chance to maybe they can qualify? I uh, believe so. For example, uh, Africa has uh, 54 countries. They have five countries at the World Cup. And uh, Europe is 55 countries. They have 13 countries at the World Cup. Mm -hmm. So you could think uh, it's not balanced. And by uh, getting uh, 48 countries to the World Cup, a continent like Africa will have nine, maybe 10, because there's one playoff possible. So 10 countries in Africa looks to me not exaggerated and uh, it will be an incitement to do something for the development of your game and uh, it is the same in Asia, it's the same in uh, Central America, the same in uh, North America and South America, you know, you have more countries, you think we have a better chance to shine and uh, you know football is at the moment I would say it's conquering the world at an unbelievable speed and uh, it looks to be unstoppable. But uh, that's why people who take care of football have as well a responsibility to develop it as well as possible. I think 48 countries, when you think you have 211 countries affiliated to FIFA, it's not even 25% of the countries who can go to the World Cup. I would say personally, I, I'm, uh, I support it. But on the flip side, it's 40 more matches it's a lot of football. Is it perhaps too much football? Is it going to tarnish the quality of the tournament, do you think? Well, uh, what, uh, what is uh, enough, what is too much, what is not enough, nobody knows. I, and I'm not the most objective person to decide that because personally I watch football every day. So uh, for me it's never enough. But uh, there's only one response to that is the audience you know, and the audience of the World Cup is absolutely fantastic. And uh, it's the only sport when the national team plays where the whole country is behind one team, you know. And so there's a national pride at stake. Personally, I believe uh, it's not too many games, but uh, we have to consider that problem as a global problem and of course to protect the players. Having said that, I would say a lot has been done for the players on the health front, uh, better preparation, better prevention, better taking care of them, better protection during the games. The VAR has contributed a lot, again, to protect better the players from bad tackles because uh, you see everything on, on uh, the screen. So overall, I would say the protection of the players has become better and better. And if you look at the careers of the players, they start earlier and they finish later. Let's not forget that the, the player of the tournament was Messi. Uh, he was born in 87. Now he was 35 at the World Cup. When I played 35, you couldn't play football anymore. So it is, uh, we have to protect the players always more. But as well, overall, I would say uh, the results, the observation of the length of a career tells us is not too bad. I want to talk to you about your managerial career at Arsenal because you were very financially responsible when you were there. Mm -hmm. What do you make of the money going into clubs today and where it comes from? 
Well, of all, uh, I would say uh, there's two different uh, problems. One, the question you can ask, football is very popular, has, a, has an activity, the right to turn down people who want to invest in the sport. I would say no, any activity, business activity has to be open to investment. The second part is uh, how can we assure that the competition is fair, you know, and uh, uh, that is a bit more difficult today. I would say you have two categories in each league, the guys who have a chance to win the league and the others who try to fight to stay in the league. And uh, so there's uh, maybe a problem there because of a competitiveness of the league uh, inside is uh, maybe not fair enough. But uh, overall, I would say that uh, this is down to the ownership who has changed in the last uh, 10, 15 years. And uh, basically, today you have two kinds of owners, uh, very rich people, billionaires, mm -hmm. or uh, very state interested, uh, like Qatar in uh, Paris Saint-Germain. So overall, uh, we have 54 owners in Europe now of clubs who are American. And uh, uh, the Arabic countries get interested as well, much in investment uh, in football in Europe. It will be interesting and uh, football has to sit down together to see how we move forward by keeping the competition fair. But could we see, you know, uh, other countries, a league in another country become more dominant than, you know, in Europe and England? Yep, the, the economical rule is always a decisive one. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's not a coincidence, the best players uh, land always in the richest countries, in the richest league. At the moment, the richest league is the Premier League. And, uh, it has been developed, this was, I arrived there when it started in uh, uh, 92, I started, uh, I arrived there in 96 and uh, the Premier League has developed and it's become today the dominant league in the world. Will it last? Nobody knows because uh, the other leagues fight uh, very hard to get rid of that domination and, uh, but it's basically la uh, linked to financial resources and to, uh, at the moment the dominance of the Premier League is down to the international right, TV rights. And uh, why? Because they have uh, inter created interest in Asia, in the States, and uh, so the whole world watches the Premier League on Saturday and Sunday. Now you have been a big backer of VAR. Do you think it's a success? I think it's a huge success by asking you the opposite question. If you think today we suppress VAR, people would complain, you know, because it allows us to have more right decisions. And at the end of the day, I was only a supporter of VAR because I think it, it gets you more uh, right decisions. And uh, overall, we are in a second stage now of VAR. Do we extend uh, the, the competence of VAR? Because we have enough technology now to extend it. And uh, we had another example the, the other night uh, when Real Madrid played against Manchester City where the ball was out. Mm -hmm. uh, we are we technologically able to say, no, this goal is not uh, right because the ball was out. So uh, we started in 2018 with VAR. Now 
in 2023, I think we are mature enough to extend the, the use of VAR. But do we need to be careful VAR doesn't affect the fluency of the game or take anything away from it, the, the romance of the game or the uncertainty of the game? I'm 100% on your side on that. Uh, we need first to protect the fluency of the game. But uh, the technology will be quicker and quicker and today already takes less time uh, when you interrupt a game uh, by VAR than before. And uh, we will have the automated offside and the automated decisions. Uh, we go into IA, you know, and uh, artificial intelligence might even replace you and me, you know, and, uh, and, and all the coaches, oh, yeah. you never know. So that will always be quicker. I would say we want to protect the fluency, but as well keep the human side in football. Could we see a return of the European Super League and this time could it be a success? The European Super League uh, will not work at the moment because uh, I think uh, people love their championship. There's uh, two kinds of fans nowadays. Uh, you have a fan to support or a big player or a big club and the fans is a uh, uh, enthusiasm again as well for fans who support their local team, you know, and we want to protect the domestic championship. I think it was a wrong idea. Uh, anything in Europe that is not purely on sporting merit will not be accepted. And in my opinion, rightly so. You do not want a protected league where nobody can go down. It will take the charm away uh, from the European culture, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think, uh, a bad idea, a misunderstanding what football is really in Europe. It's been five years since you left Arsenal. Mm -hmm. What is your favourite memory of your time there? Well, I have many favourite memories, but uh, I would say uh, basically if you speak to me, Arsenal, I, I, uh, the atmosphere of Highbury comes into my mind straight away, the enthusiasm of the crowd. and uh, the, uh, It's more an atmosphere with, uh, than any specific uh, uh, moment of my career at Arsenal. I believe that uh, uh, that club was, is built on values, on uh, acting with class and uh, that uh, remains with me, you know, and I, I hope I left that legacy and uh, today that continues and that is the most important. You took over in 1996. Did you believe you would have so much success? Not at all, you know, uh, when you, uh, it is a little bit, a uh, contract uh, with a club is a little bit uh, like a marriage. You, you love, you go together in a, and uh, you know uh, you have to act and behave like uh, you will stay there forever, but uh, knowing that it can end uh, with three, four bad results. Because I know you took it really hard. The, the defeats were very difficult on you. You were very hurt. You even said that you got physically sick sometimes after a defeat. Were they all, were they all that devastating or were, was it a different level of devastating, your defeats? No, I was always personally, I believe as well, uh, uh, it hurts you physically, yes, to lose football games. And I'm like that since I am a young boy, was a young boy and uh, that will never change. And uh, overall, I was happy as well at Arsenal because I had, uh, I, I need to feel I, I worked for something bigger than me, 
and uh, that I can dedicate that energy to that something that is bigger than me. And of all, I uh, was very happy to do that. You only recently started going back to, to Arsenal to watch Arsenal matches. What was that like? It was nice because uh, you see people uh, that you haven't seen for a long time, you know, and uh, of all, I, uh, I had to do that to, to connect with the club and uh, to connect with the team that I met after the game. So it was very nice, a very great, a great experience. And uh, overall, uh, I'm happy for having done it. Do you approve what Mikel Arteta is doing there? Yes, of course. Uh, I think they are doing very well. They have uh, uh, invested a lot. Uh, I think uh, you have to give credit to the owner. He has invested a lot of money in the recent years, what was not happening before, but uh, I believe it was the right decision. And uh, they bought the right players. And uh, I think uh, Mikel Arteta is uh, getting very well the team and uh, they have played uh, great football this year. What about Erling Haaland? Like, he can score goals anywhere. Is there any stopping him? Yes, of course, but uh, there are, you can always find a solution to stop the strikers, but I, uh, the strikers usually finish the collective work of the team, you know, and uh, uh, more or less well, but he's doing it very well. Yes, kind of... Uh, animalistic force as well in him, uh, that uh, desire to be uh, uh, successful. And uh, I like him because I feel uh, he's really dedicated on what is essential, the priority. He's not in image, he's in winning. He's what his sport is really about, you know. And uh, I uh, respect that. Are you done with coaching? Yes. I'm never done with coaching because uh, I feel I coach my team as well now in the world, you know, we have a team of coaches, of 100 coaches who work in the world and uh, you always take care of how well the sessions go and uh, we teach young uh, girls and boys to develop all over the world and so I'm not finished with coaching. I, uh, I believe that uh, I always behave like that in life is that uh, what is the most important is what is in front of you, not what you have done. You can learn from what we have done, but uh, what is uh, really mattering is uh, uh, what is in front of you. And overall, I would say this project is deep in my heart. And if I'm successful in doing that, I feel really can help uh, many people to develop in the world and uh, make football better in the world, what would be fantastic. So you're not going to you know, go back to the Premier League as a coach, not even for Tottenham? <laughs> Uh, no, no, not especially not for Tottenham, you know. They would burn me. Um, as a coach, you have to pretty much sacrifice all other aspects of your life. When you look back at it, was it all worth it? Yes. There's two important things uh, in life. The day you were born and the day you know why. And... Uh, to me, it looked obvious that uh, the why is football, you know. And uh, so, yes, today, we, in hindsight, when I look at it, I think I sacrificed everything in my life for that. But uh, it was what had a real meaning for me. So I cannot say it was me. And uh, so there is no regret there. 
Arsene Wenger, thank you so much for talking to Al Jazeera. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you.